Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Boy, it's nice to see you again. It's lovely to see you. I'm sorry it's taken here, us. Here, I thought we were going to connect over the years, but here we are. I know. I I, I feel like the last year for me, and, and you can tell me what has been going on in your world, but it's all been a bit chaotic, really. I've been trying to re <laughs> reconfigure my internal compass and just my whole kind of uh, routine and life in a post-COVID yeah. world. It's been rather overwhelming at times well how i'm sorry i gotta ask you a question how old you are i am 37 what did you expect at 37 that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing reconfiguring your what do you think you got 30 more years to your my age you'll be it'll be great once you get through that little phase you got a few years to go when do you think that it does begin to get a little i don't know whether easier is the right word or even what i'm looking for but the 30s have been tough, I don't mind telling you, on me at least. Well, you, at least you met, you're making it through your 30s. A lot of people don't. That is a tough decade. You know, it's probably the last tough decade before things get easier mentally and, and spiritually. But then, you know, the physical stuff is tough. But um, let me get this a little better. There we go. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm I, I, um, very happy in my life right now. And I think that... Um, you just have to ex acceptance is the thing. You know, they talk about that in Buddhism and in AA and in 12-step programs and in, in some spiritual disciplines about acceptance because you're still at the age where you want to fight everything. Just don't fight everything. Just wake up in the morning and say you accept what's going to happen and then try to, 
you know, make it happen in the way you want it, but just manifest good things. Yeah, I think that um, that's where I'm at in my soul. I think the thing for me, maybe you can share some wisdom and, and insight in, in regards to this. The thing for me that is the source of what seems to be the disruption in my life is a sense of <laughs> kind of existential, but also very literal and figurative loneliness, really. Um, I've been single for six years and my last relationship, it didn't end terribly, but nothing ends well, right? And then over the last six years, every time I've opened my heart and begin to develop feelings for someone, it's just not, um, it's not gone my way, as it were. And not woe is me, but, you know, it's just heartache after disappointment. after. So you then begin to put up a wall and, and, and sort of just decide that maybe you were better off on your own. And then it's, so it's the internal battle of, I'm good on my own. I'm actually happier. I'm at peace. I've found contentment. But then with that comes loneliness. And it's like, is this it? Is this me forever? Let me close the window. I'll be right back. Okay. There's a lot out there. There's cars going back. Um, well, you, you just kind of outlined the human condition. You know, you're, you're, that's the human condition. Um, again, acceptance. Uh, solitude and acceptance. Of course, again, you know, it depends on how old you are. I'm, I'm at the age where I just love my solitude. I love it. I finally learned that I, um, I am not afraid of the dark and I don't need someone to be there every minute of every day. <clears throat> but yes, uh, I think that, you know what, when I talk to people about things like that, because I did go through a long time like that, um, you know, it's, it's all, it's all manifestation and Tent and acceptance. It really is it's just like, okay, this is who I am right now. I, I think what the universe is telling me is I'm supposed to be on my own. What a privilege to not have any encumbrances. I'm not taking care of anyone. They're not taking care of me. I'm financially like I can I can figure out what I want to do. No one's yeah. Don't forget what it's like to be in a relationship. The grass is always greener, as they say, right? Don't forget what it's like to have someone tell me you, you can't eat that. You shouldn't be eating that, right? There we go. Now that's better. You shouldn't be eating that. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be saying that. And I'm terrible in relationships. I'm I'm fortunate because you know what? I am just perfect right now in my life. I'm totally happy. Uh, but anyway, um, that's my advice to you is just acceptance and um, gratitude for what you have. And then the right person will come along. You can't force that stuff. Yeah, I hear you. And you've obviously, you've been in love. You've been married. You've been divorced. You've experienced the full spectrum, haven't you? I sure have. And boy, have I experienced some bad things in life um, and some great things in life. Um, yeah, you know, I, it's, I don't know what to say about all that. It's just uh, when you get older, you realize that there is a love is a drug and sex is a drug. And they're both like hormonally and mentally, narcissistically uh, charged beyond your control. And And then once you realize that, you kind of go, oh, so, wow, I was really insane that whole mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I was under the influence of this insane hormonal drug craziness. And um, also, I've been sober for almost two years. So uh, I work a really good program. And so uh, I never thought I could be this happy uh, or, or this content or, or have this much gratitude in life. And so, you know, there's that. Congratulations! That's that's a a, an amazing achievement, and uh, I am I'm at a month and a day today as we speak, and and I figured part of the chaos in my head might be to do with that. It just might, right? So uh, I'm, I'm giving the other greater. walk of life a go. 
That is fantastic. Congratulations. You, if are you doing a program? No, I'm just, uh, I feel like. Get in a program, get an AA right away or you will not stay sober. And I'm going to tell you that if, if you don't do that, you will not, you will not enjoy the promises and the enrichment and the gratitude and the blessings of being sober. You will just be a dry drunk. And uh, you do not want to be a dry drunk. Just be a drunk or be it or be a be in the program. Because that's those are your two choices. You you cannot do it on your own. Guarantee it. And that's obviously because you've seen that go down time and time again with others. I've done it, I've done it um, myself many times. You can't do it. It's impossible. You gotta read that first step. Read those first three steps in that big book and see what you think. And if you don't want to do that, then we'll talk in a year and see if you've got 31 days again. <laughs> well, I've, I've definitely. Thank you for telling me that. I'm so happy for you. That's so great. That's okay. And I feel great. And I'm very familiar with the steps and I have read up on them. And there's, there's elements of a lot of them that I apply to my day to day life anyway. Um, and I think for me, I had a very interesting conversation once where someone who is very sober and has been for a long time and is very committed to the, the 12 step program said to me that the opposite of um of being wasted and drunk is not in fact sober it's connected and he said that a lot of what comes with what you're talking about isn't the fact that you're not getting messed up it's that you are actually connected and present to life and that's really where i want to exist because i love conversations like this and moments like this and why have something get in the way of that right it's it's beyond it's beyond comprehension it's just beyond comprehension it was the thing that i wanted my whole life that i never could find and then I found it and I could not believe it. But yeah, uh, I can't say enough good things about it. But, you know, I'm supposed to protect my anonymity, but that's okay. I, I don't mind talking about it because, you know, there are a lot of people that um, that, that talk about it because, you know, it, you can't be ashamed of it either. You know, anyway, are we going to talk about our sobriety the whole time? Because I'm mm. fine with that. Or is there something else you want to talk about? I know you're going to put this together, right? We're going to talk. Well, I just put it out unedited as it happens. That's very much. Oh, yay. That's wonderful. The format of the show, just gonzo and and honest and raw and, you know, vulnerable. Hey, it's fantastic. Yes. And I want to talk to you about everything, really. I want to go in, if you don't mind, into more of perhaps the maudlin stuff first, and then we can come out of that towards the light. Because what I love to do before every conversation like this is listen, or, you know, if it's a filmmaker or an actor or comedian, watch and, and absorb as much if not all of the guest body of work as i can and so i've spent the last week or so listening to everything that i found available by yourself um and have loved the journey and and the exploration of all of it not just x obviously x is the thing that i think most people are familiar with in regards to your work but you know the the original sinner stuff i love the knitter stuff i love the solo stuff i loved um and there's a song on one of your solo albums i wish it would stop raining and there's this line in there, my heart's been broken a lot of times, but this time I broke my soul. Crushed me. Yeah. yeah. Crushed me. Um, and you mentioned a moment ago that you have experienced in your life a lot of bad stuff. I'm not asking you to obviously divulge and go into that's that in detail. But what I would love to know, because what struck me about you when we spent time together on the cruise is that there's a strength with you, but it doesn't come with a hardness. And that's a rare thing. Because often when people have been through traumatic, painful things, they put up a wall and they become cold and hard. And you have a resilience and a strength and courage, but with that is this lovely gentleness and and warmth as well. So I guess what I would like to know, if you wouldn't mind going there, is how some of those experiences have impacted you and affected your 
your life. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that when you bring up that um, that one recording, um, and you bring up that time when I wrote that, that was a very low time in my life. It was really, it was really bad, and it was bad emotionally. Um, and um, you know, I, when I was just talking about the sobriety thing, um, I don't want to be in that place. I want to fix all those things. I want to fix my heart. I want to fix my soul. I want to fix my spirit. Fix my body. I want to have the, you know, the rest of my life be the happiest I've ever been. And so far I'm tracking on that. So that's, that's good. Um, I am very, um, I am a, a kind of a deep, soulful, sad, maudlin, reflect, uh, self-reflective and reflective of others, empathetic joyride. And I snap. I have tried very hard to make that an advantage for others because that's all you can do. You know, when you meet people that have like such, such terrible physical or mental difficulties in life, but yet they're there for other people and they don't complain. That to me is besides being, um, there's, that is very important to me to see that and recognize that and try to be that because you will get there someday. And the other one is, um, just, um, to be creative and to be original about it. So how do you take, the Hank Williams song, I'm so lonesome I could die or cry and make or it both. so that some, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and make it so they're both and, and make it so that you are writing the exact same thing with the exact same power in different words for for the same people or for new people. You have to, you know, how do you how many times you say I'm sad in a song or in an original way? Well, that's the key to being a great artist, I think, is to be original. I've always said that and I always will. That is that to me is the number one thing. So I guess that's nice that that um, or nice. I'm I'm happy that you got that um, meaning of that, because that is a very dark uh, song. And um, yeah, I have a lot of very dark songs. And then I have, you know, I don't know if you listened to the Antichrist record. I did. And that's with Matt Freeman from Rancid, right? Yes, it's with Matt Freeman and DJ. And, you know, I'm the only guitarist on that whole record. I wrote all those songs and played guitar on that, which. And I played guitar on all my solo records, which people don't know. You know, they they think that I'm just some girl that sings with John sometimes. I've actually had a, there was a book that came out and it was, I can't remember the writer, it was a woman. And, um, you know, there's this whole focus on still on women in music and women in feminism and all this. And I've been dealing with that for 45 years. And um, it's interesting how women, as you know, they're the same age women, that are you know always in their twenties or thirties or forties writing these books. Their perspective, their perspective individually on women in music has changed over these forty years. Um, and sometimes it's the same, and sometimes it's different. But I've had a woman write about me that I didn't really count as much as someone like um, you know like Kristen Hirsch and throwing muses or the Breeders because I didn't play an instrument and I was just a singer, not a writer. And I just was like, if you're a feminist. And you don't know that I write songs and play guitar and that I'm that I've had a role with with in the arts and in the punk scene and in the folk scene and how many things I've done in my life in that music that you're going to dismiss me. Because even if I was just a singer, I still have that role. So anyway, um, it's not just it's that as well. It's I'm all the different styles. Thing of like, it's what? all the different it's all the different styles that you do as well. So amazingly, yeah. it's not just that you you know, write and sing and play. It's that you do all of the above in all these different lanes, whether it's kind of country and Western or folk or rockabilly or punk or rock and roll. Like, and that's just the music before you even talk about the writing and the, you know, the, the painting and the art and all of that. Um, as I said, it's been a real joy 
just delving into your, you know, amazing back catalogue of art. And the, and the Antichrist well, record you. is awesome. Especially that last song, people... Not You, is that what it's called? What is it? Yeah, Not You. Yeah. Yeah. There's also that thing of, um, you know, the, there's there's more non-X than there is X in my catalog, you know. And and by the way, there let's is. go to X for a little bit, because I think you covered that. And I really appreciate you listening to all that stuff and maybe turning some people onto it. Um, X is uh, working on new songs. We've been playing them live, a lot of them, and we're making another record because, you know, a couple of years ago, Alphabet Land came out. And um, because of that silly pandemic, you know, um, it derailed our plans for that. But but it did come out. And um, and now the new one will be recorded with the same producer, Rob Schnoff, and it will be recorded in January 2024 and will come out in May, June of 2024. So we're really, really relieved and excited about that. And um, I like the new songs a whole lot. Like, And we're playing them live. The last record, we didn't have a chance to play anything live ever. And this record, uh, we played at least five of the songs live and then some repeatedly and repeatedly. And, and so I think it's going to be a, a lot more thought out, you know, because once you play them live, they change a lot. And you can't just record them. Like, you got to get audience feedback and you got to get out there in front of people and really sing them and play them, you know, in front of people for them to be realized. So that will be coming out on Fat Possum in um, probably May. Um, so that'll be great. Yeah, and what... we've been touring a lot. And what watching you on the cruise was just one of my favorite moments um and what was so wonderful about that was all the other bands who were on that boat pretty high profile bands successful bands legends in their own right were all freaking out over the fact that x was there and performing and they were like in the crowd as fans watching you guys in awe and you brought a whole other level of class and sophistication to that expedition which was so wonderful to get to witness and um I, I just loved it it was a real moment and one i'll never forget and the setting obviously made it extra special being yeah. you know i will never forget that cruise either and i thank you for your friendship on that cruise by the way that was one of the that was a really big moment in my life because we had just come out of the pandemic i had had been forced to get vaccinated and get tested and i wanted to do it because i wanted to go back to work it was like the vaccine's probably going to kill me however do i really want to throw away 45 years of my career and go, well, I'm done, I guess. No, I'm not done. I'm going on that cruise. We're playing that show. And what I loved about it was, you know, because the distillers at the last minute couldn't make it. So we were added when the, sh the, the cruise was sold out for months and months before we were added. There wasn't one person on that cruise that bought a ticket to CX. Maybe they were happy we were there, but that's not why they were there. And I knew that. And it was exciting because it was like, all these people are going to have to like us because we're going to be good. And um, I didn't know, I'd seen Flogging Molly, obviously, before, and some of the other artists. And I just didn't know what to expect. And I was so blown away. I made so many friends on that cruise. I had such a wonderful time. I loved all the bands. And people were so kind and friendly. And watching the Flogging Molly cruise people was like kind of like a Grateful Dead experience for me. Because I realized these people all know each other. I'm, I'm tearing up. They they didn't get to see each other for a couple of years because the pandemic. I saw them recognize each other in the crowd and be so overwhelmed with joy to see each other again and that they had survived and that they were back on that cruise. It was such a family. I was I was really overwhelmed by that whole scene. And I I would love to do it again someday, even just to go, because it was just it was special. And then I did another cruise after that. 
the Outlaw Country Cruise that was also amazing and wonderful that we played. And Dave Alvin was on there after just recovering from his cancer ordeal. And um, there were so many great bands on that, Los Lobos and Lucinda Williams and um, Deke Dickerson and just all the other players, the beat farmers. There was all these great people that I know. And, you, and it was also very similar. And it had a similar vibe, but I'll, that Flogging Molly Cruise was the most family. Uh, I was a little bit of an outsider, and that's why I think it, I, I could see it better, you know, what it was. And then I got accepted into that family, and I, I'm telling you, that was, both of those were great. And I was like, I don't want to go on a cruise. <laughs> I don't want to go on a cruise. Cruises are dumb. And I had so much fun. So I hope, I hope you're going again. I'm going again in a few weeks. I think that's why it's quite wonderful and, you know, serendipitous, if that's the word that we've reconvened today, because it's about yeah. two to three weeks that I, I set sail Excellent. again. And I will mention to Nathan from the band, from Flogging Molly, who's very much, you know, one of the main people who makes those lineup decisions. I will mention that you have expressed you know vocal interest in returning and uh, i mean he, oh, we he he's one of the biggest fans of x ever and he was one of the many people who was you know so excited like a school yeah. kid that you guys were on board and well the next one perhaps you know you skip one and then you do one or you skip a couple and do it again um yeah we would definitely be into it especially next year because it's going to be we're booking next year yeah obviously we're going to try to tour every day for the rest of our lives until <laughs> until we can't do it anymore when our next record comes out um but yeah tell everybody i said hi you're going to see a lot of people i know on that I will. I can't wait to get back on board. And like, I think for me, watching four original members, we have to talk about that because so many bands, you know, change lineups, people pass away, sadly, you know, rifts forge and they become, you know, unerasable. And it's so rare to have a band that's been together for decades remain, um, you know, the core group. What is that like being, I mean, just give me some kind of insight into the history there, the, the friendship, the bonds, the ties, both positive, perhaps challenging, like all of it, because it must present such a cacophony of emotion. And it's just a very rare thing to have yeah. four members ride the course for all of that time. Well, it's like four people being married. Can you imagine? Um, the other thing, though, is I think um, after Eight Love Grand came out, Jen and I had split up. The music thing had changed. It was pre-Nirvana. It was like the doldrums of music, like you would not believe. Billy decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And that was fine because blah, blah. I had, we had, me and John had kids, like, you know, to raise and stuff. And we did knitter stuff and we did solo stuff. But anyway, we decided um, to work with Tony Gilkison and Dave Alvin for a little bit and made, made some records. It wasn't my favorite time of X. I didn't even want to do it. I did it because I felt pressured to do it, to make a living. There were some good songs. There were some good moments. Playing with Dave and Tony was great. You know, working with Dave. Is, is always you know amazing but i think we should have broke up and stayed broke up at that point and then got back together when we did we got back together with a incredible fluke of luck so um i was doing antichrist and happy doing that and i had a lot going on in my life i was happy i was sober at that time too and um anyway so there's a tv show called what is that um oh god what is the name of that show um Oh, I can't remember now. It's that show about like these supernatural uh, uh, Scully and oh, those uh, two. X-Files. X-Files. How could I not remember that? Anyway, the guy that does X-Files is a huge X-Fan, right? And so they were going to do a movie about the X-Files and they wanted to. Do you think that's people. why he named it the X-Files? Everybody wants my X. Everybody's using stealing my X. You know, <laughs> I started that in 76. I was the first. Come on. So, um, 
Yeah, so he was doing a movie with that. And so he wanted different people he likes to say, I'm going to go to the X-Files movie or I'm excited or whatever it was. I can't remember. So he said he wanted X to do it. And I, we said, well, you know, there is no X anymore. And Billy's, you know, doing his own thing and he doesn't do X. He doesn't want anything to do with X and blah, 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 blah. So a bunch of people went to bat and said, look, Xene wants to do it. What if we could get Xene and Billy back together for the first time in like 10 years to do a spot for this? Because Billy, we knew, loves the X-Files. So I'd been reaching out to him before that and trying to stay in touch more with him. He was doing his own thing. And I love Billy so much. So I said, okay, we're going to do something on the street in Silver Lake. It was before I got super hip, hip again. And he's going to show up and Xene's going to show up. And you send your camera person and we're going to do the spot for X-Files. We told a few people. Billy showed up with his silver jacket, with his silver guitar, with an amp, looking with his sunglasses, looking exactly like Billy's, in which he had never done that often for like 10 years. And I was just crying. And then we stood there and did this little commercial. And then after that, it got to be this thing of like, well, maybe we could get back together. So we found this manager that Billy wanted, who is still our manager now, who's like one of my favorite people I've ever known in my life, who I trust with my life, who I love so much. His name is Mike Rouse. And Billy said, okay, well, you know, blah, blah. I don't want to play shows, but blah, 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 right? So there was a release about the same time of an Xbox set. And Mike set up this thing where we would go to Tower Records, which is famous worldwide, and do an in-store. And if people showed up, we would play some shows. And if people didn't show up, then we would not do it. And a thousand people showed up. And it was just, it wasn't a new record. It was a box set. And it was kids and it was people crying and it was people getting things, posters signed and records signed that they've had for 40 years. It was people who didn't know who we were with their with their parents. And it was it was like five hours of insanity. And then after that, then we started playing again. And then eventually we started recording again. Pearl Jam took us on tour to South America. We recorded it live. We put it out as a record. We raised money. We made a record, blah, blah, blah. So you see, in life, you just never know. You never know what the universe is going to do. You never know where you're going to be, who you're going to meet. Um, one phone call, one conversation you overhear. Um, your whole life can change on a dime. And you always have to be open to the universe because the universe is going to send stuff your way, whether you like it or not. And you have to field it like a catcher. And you have to go, is this good or bad? You have to have what is in the Bible, which I'm not a big Bible person at all. But there is a saying that I like in the Bible that's called the power of discernment. And it's in there quite a few times. And what it means is you come towards me on the boat and I can say good person, bad person, dangerous person, safe person, person I want to meet, person of spirit, person of no spirit, evil, good. And that's the power of discernment. It's that simple. And it happens with situations where you have that. It's like a sixth or seventh sense. sense. Fear is to me a sense, not a, an emotion. The power of, you know, it, you know, like ESP is a, is a sense and power of discernment is a sense. And it's a power. It's a power. Fear is not a power. It's a sense. But discernment is a power that we're born with and we never use it. It's called a gut feeling. This I like this guy, but he seems a little dangerous, but I'm really attracted to him. That's the power of discernment. And what are you doing? You're saying, don't do it. Do not do this. And yet you go, well, yeah, but it, that chemical takes over and there you go. So anyway, that's what life is about. And I think when I met John and John had already met Philly and then we found DJ, that was a divinely inspired program because there's no way otherwise. And John and I uh, have known each other. He was like the first person I met when I moved to California uh, in 76. 
was it a romantic connection no. out the gate it or did that develop absolutely not i did not even like him <laughs> and um he was so amazing because he told me there was a punk scene i didn't know that he had a car we both lived in venice we would drive to hollywood go to the mask and then we became a couple but our our coupleness was was kind of like uh roy rogers and dale evans or something he, you know Yes, it was the marriage, but it was so just the punk scene, the band, the songwriting, the singing, the playing. 24 hours a day was X. 24 hours a day, every day was X. Um, and, and that included going to shows and doing posters and flyers and seeing other bands and rehearsing and playing and writing songs. And just everything in our lives was devoted to this. It was a, a very magical, magical um, partnership. And then, of course, it, you know, then it became more of that than anything else. And then we split up romantically managed somehow to hang in there and stay together all these years and um you know we're still getting along a lot of times we 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 don't always get along but most of the time we do and i do express my gratitude to him and i do tell him from time to time if it wasn't for him i would not even be alive because i was so wild and so out there and having such a good time uh hitchhiking on pch to go get you know whatever i could find somewhere i'd never been and running around with all kinds of people and um he gave me that that reason to live you know we're going to rehearse and you're going to sing the song 150 times until you can finally hit those notes and that's what i did and you know i could have walked away from him but he really did um give me a life that i never would have had and and you know you have to, sometimes you have to tell yourself that, like when you're when you're looking at somebody across the room and you're and you're going, why are you behaving like that? Why are you doing this? Why? Why are you doing this? And then you go, now listen, this person gave you a life you never would have had, and, and I'm sure he does that with me. We do it with Billy. We do it with DJ. Of course, is Buddha, so he doesn't come into play. He's just straight Buddha, and that's it. Um, so yeah, but yeah, it's hard. I don't know how how. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of bands that are still together. I think Lowos and uh, Aerosmith, maybe. I, I guess, unfortunately, ZZ Top lost a member. But, um, yeah, we're still together. It's Old one 97s. Of one of the great love stories, I think. And, and love evolves and deepens over time. And, you know, I think for me, one thing that's enriched my life so much in the last sort of six years that I have been single is the platonic love that exists around me and those relationships, which are so yeah. valuable and so beautiful. That's way more important. That's for sure, you know. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty deep river there. Um, definitely. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. 
But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How difficult or indeed uh, rewarding perhaps, or both, is it to kind of be in a band with your partner and your co-parent and, and navigate those seas? Well, he's not a co-parent. You didn't have kids together, no? Oh, no. No, he had, he had his wife um, and he had a child, a girl, Veronica, who was born the same day as my son, Henry. Vigo Mortensen is Henry's dad. Right. So Vigo Mortensen and I had Henry and we were, Henry was born about four hours before John's daughter in the same hospital for, by the same delivery doctor with totally different due dates. Again. That was, you couldn't sync that up if you tried. Our, our kids were born on the same day. He had a daughter. I had a son. The same day, same hospital, same doctor, different delivery day, different due dates. Like three, three weeks apart, they should have been. No. The universe said, no, let's do this. This will be even funnier. Come on, guys. Let's have some fun here. <laughs> and they are like brother and sister. They They're are very close, close, are they? That's that. wonderful. Yes, of course. And then John has two other beautiful, beautiful daughters. And all our kids are so amazing. Billy has two kids. DJ has a kid. All the kids are amazingly great, wonderful people, beautiful people. And they all, you know, know each other. And it's a, it's a, that is, that is great. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So how did you meet Vigo on the film you did? The movie that, um, we did a film and we met on parodies that. And, um, televangelism, is it? Yeah, it was a really funny movie and it was a, Beth B, who is an underground kind of filmmaker in New York, she did a lot of stuff with Lydia and other people. And um, yeah, she threw us together. And uh, I kind of knew the second I met him that we were going to get married. He was playing my husband in the film, but I just I just had that power of like, whoa, we're going to get married. Didn't want a child, never wanted a kid, never was going to ever have a kid. And then suddenly was like having a kid. And, um, you know, I'm really, uh, we're not together as a couple, but uh, we do get along good. And, you know, we've had some bumps in the roads like everybody does, but I love him and respect him so much. And he's he's doing great. Um, Henry's dad is doing a lot of films and he's directing, producing, acting. And they're so amazing. He's a really amazing artist, like uh, way more than people would ever know unless they um, got into also like the deep in the weeds like you did with me. Uh, my son, Henry's an amazing man. And um, he kind of runs and manages um, Percival Press. Uh, P-E-R-C-E-B-A-L and, and it's in Santa Monica and it's um, he and Vigo have this uh, company called Percival Press and they do records and books and films and um, they put out a lot of books that other people wouldn't put out in a lot of different languages, people from all over the world and um, Henry put out a film called Ugly Pop about this band Skating Polly that's a really great it's a documentary and he did that completely him, himself, it's amazing and so I would say go to Percival press if you want to see some cool cool art um so yeah i got i got really fortunate there that we all we all met and you know that my son is here it's like the main thing right so sounds like one big beautiful happy family obviously you know there's always stuff that you need to work out with your family but it sounds on the uh 
the surface and, and below the surface, like it has worked out rather wonderfully. And that's lovely. Beautiful. You, you know, like, you make it work out or you make it not work out. You you want to you want to be an, an idiot and an asshole and, and fight people and, and always cause problems. Go ahead. If you want to try to work things out. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to say, OK, I'll do that. You know. Are you close with your um, siblings? What? Are you close? My with siblings? Your... Well, I had four sisters. I now have three because one, one died in 1980. I love my sisters. Um, my sisters are one of my my life's greatest gifts. I love my sisters so much. I can't tell you. So, yeah. What about your folks? Were you close with them growing up? Um. I was born in 1956. And I lived in rural Illinois. When I say rural Illinois, I mean rural Illinois. I mean living on a on a gravel road, and the only thing in the town was um, a tavern, a train station, and a one of those markets that's like got the wooden sidewalk, and you buy the penny candy in the jar and the meat and the everything in that town. The traffic light. I had the best life growing up, and as far as my parents go. I had a lot of resentments against them that I didn't get over. Um, my dad died at the age of 94. It was about, man, it's been a long time. I don't even know how long. I'm going to say it's 20 years now. My mom died when she was 40 when I was 18. <clears throat> I had to move in with my dad and my younger sisters to help raise them. That was not a pretty picture. I was not equipped. It was horrible. I had a lot of resentments against my dad. And every day I understand my parents more and love them more and appreciate them more and make more amends to them than I ever thought possible. My parents were amazing. Uh, were they great parents? Well, no, not really. Did they come from immigrant families and were they lived through the most hellish lives possible and still had kids at home that they took care of? My dad went to work every day, came home every night. My mom stayed home. She, she was terrified to leave the house, but she stayed home every day and took care of us. Now people don't even have parents let alone fathers. I mean, people don't have what, what 10% of people have fathers probably. And women get pregnant and they go, well, should I, should I settle with the baby daddy or should I have an, abor an abortion? Well, maybe the baby daddy will give me some money once in a while. I guess I'll have the kid because all their friends have kids and baby daddies. So, or I'll get an abortion. Those are the choices in America in a lot of places, not in every town in America, not in every family in America, but I'm going to say the majority at this point. And um, even the people that get married don't stay together. I mean, I tried to get married and stay together. It's very, very hard. Um, anyway, that is a very hard thing. And so I forgive my parents. Not that it's even, uh, how dare I forgive my parents? I just shouldn't even have any resentments against them in the first place, what they've been, what they went through in their lives. Um, but uh, yeah. I'm good with everything. I have uh, I have accepted everything um, that I've been dealt. And I've played the best I could with my hand, as they say. So that's that. You're an amazing person, Xane. It's so nice just hearing you. Well, talk. I'm trying. You know what? No, I'm not trying. This is the only thing is acceptance and happiness and gratitude. Acceptance and gratitude. You have control over what? Your actions and your thoughts. You say something to me, do I get angry or do I go, okay, I accept that that's what you think. I don't have to answer every, everything everyone throws at me or defend myself. I don't have to defend myself or 
or defend against anything anyone else does or says. I only have control over me. I don't have control over other people. I don't have control over my parents' upbringing and how they raised me. I have control over how I look at it. Right? Do you uh, hold out hope for us as a species? Oh dear. <laughs> well, I have a I have a vow that it's a it's a professional vow because I'm in a band with three other people to not opine on anything political or anything I believe that I will already have been to be canceled and destroyed and I am being watched 24/7 because of who I am that I can't talk about things. On a spiritual level, I believe that we all have an afterlife and that I am not afraid of dying, nor am I afraid of um, the annihilation of the human race because I have no control over that. Have you ever what had experiences that lead you to believe that life does go on beyond this version of it? Have you ever? Well, it definitely those? does. Yes, it definitely does because matter cannot be <clears throat> created and destroyed, and we are energy, and energy will return to energy. And we know that we are just molecules rubbing against each other, just like that microphone or the chair you're sitting in. We are no different. We're carbon-based life form like every other life form. We are just stuff. We are animated stuff. And the animated part is, uh, I believe, eternal. Now, whether that combines with all the other animated um, parts and becomes one big godhead and we lose our individualism, I do not know. I do know that uh, it doesn't matter because once we're gone, we're gone and we don't really know fully what's on the other side. I do believe, though, that I'm not afraid of it. And I believe that I've seen enough of God in the universe to know that uh, if the end of my journey is the day that I die, I'm, I'm fine with that. If I go on, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to hell, which I don't really believe in anyway, but I, I don't There's think There's no it's way you're going there. Um, there, there I, I do not believe that there is, there is, I don't think it's going to be worse than this. <laughs> and that's a blessing because <laughs> this yeah. is hard. Yeah. Um, and past that, I really have no control. And I just try to be the best person I can be and um, and live the best life I can live and um, and try not to get hung up in, in um, negativity. I don't want to bring any negativity into the world. Um, I have my own um, ways of looking at things and my own opinions on, on the human condition and the state of the world. And I, I'm, I pray... Uh, quite a bit and send a lot of positive thoughts that there will be some sort of salvation for the human race and for the planet in general that's going to come from God knows where. But it's not for me and I don't have control. What's the role of art been in your life um, in terms of helping you make sense of the world, but also just expressing yourself as an individual you know, in life? Has, has it been a, a, a saving grace? Has it just been part of the overall experience? Tell me a little bit about your relationship with creativity and with with art well i i've come to the conclusion yeah i've come to the conclusion that art that the definition of art is anything that helps you make sense of life that's art so you're walking down the street and there's some people in the window in new york city and they're having a cup of coffee and they're kind of having this heated argument it's a man and a woman they still got their cold weather clothes on they just obviously sat down and you walk by that and you see that and you see well, wow, that reminds me of that Edward Hopper painting and it kind of rem reminds me of my parents and it kind of reminds me of like the song that I'm working on, well, that's art. Because you just saw something that helped you make sense of life. And whether you make that painting or not, it doesn't really matter. And when I go to a museum, which I don't do enough, and I see a painting, 
It can be any kind of painting from any kind of artist, somebody I want to see, somebody I've never heard of. And I look at it, I go, yeah, that is like that feeling you get on that day when this thing happens or this abstract painting that's, you can't tell what they were thinking, but it makes you think something. Um, you have to have art in life and people there. That's why art has been kind of squeezed out except for the wealthy and the, um, you know, the intellectuals and the so-called educated um, and why it's so heavily censored, you know, um, poems are, you know, help you. Everything just helps you interpret life and you can't always interpret life literally. You can't just go, okay, so this is a map and this is where I'm going today and this is what I'm going to do when I get there and this is the kind of job I do and this this works this way and um, because I do this job, this other thing happens and then I go home and I put my money in the bank and everything's literal and then I do this. That isn't even life, you know. That's that's like little, little sticks that hold it up and um, so, you know, the key I think is to look at life as an art, as a project. Um, to look at life creatively and to um, experience it uh, that way is, um, well, at the very risk, uh, at least it makes it better. It's enriching. And you know, with kids, as you know, that when kids, kids draw and sometimes they don't want to, but they also like to engage in like sports or something, which is kind of artistic too. It's kind of like a ballet. It's like dance, it's physical. Um, and it helps them make sense of, of life because they're dealing with other people and things and they're dealing with cooperation or like how, how do you compare yourself? That's kind of artistic too because artists are constantly comparing ourselves to each other, right? And that's, that's um, so on a side note as an artist, that is something that's positive and negative is to, when I look at myself as an artist, like I do compare myself to other artists, but if I'm doing it negatively, that's the worst. But if I'm doing it like, wow, that person's really great. I really love what they're doing. Um, I'm not going to imitate them because I would never do that, but it really makes me think, you know, yeah, and get inspired by it, get inspired by art and, um, yeah. And music and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I would never go, I'm going to learn how to play like that person or sing like that person. Um, that now that's not good. Well, that's imitation then, isn't it? Yeah, but it's also, it's like finding, like, clues is okay. Like, a clue, like, oh, I see what they're doing there. I can apply that to my own guitar playing because they're not being constrained by rhythm. Wow, I don't have to be either. But to, to pick up on someone else's weird, like Willie Nelson just popped into my head when I said guitar rhythm. Willie Nelson plays guitar, and his singing and phrasing is totally unique to him. And one of the reasons he's a great artist, besides his songwriting, is just you never know when he's going to hit that next note or that next phrase in a song. It's so, you cannot copy that. And if you did, people would go, wow, that sounds just like Willie Nelson. Hmm. And that would be terrible, right? So, yeah, I mean, man, he's great, you know. Tell me about some others, some people, perhaps, you know, unlikely sources of inspiration, people who've shown you there's a way of doing things that's exciting, that talks to you, that has shaped Well, I would never imitate yeah, I would never imitate, but you know, the hot on the heels of Willie Nelson is Roger Miller, whose phrasing is insane. I love him. Who had this period of a run of songwriting for about five years that was over the top and was one of the first great crossover artists. Ray Charles also crossed over from soul and, and pop and rhythm and blues into country, which was also a great crossover. Um, you know, I love I love country music and I love. I mean, I just love all music, really, but mostly American music, I got to say, you know, that's my thing. But I also love like the um, 
the so-called British invasion and, you know, Scylla Black and that whole, the whole English thing, like the Moody Blues and um, Left Bank. And there was so much great English music that came out in the 50s and 60s, especially in 70s. That's just like um, Chad and Jeremy, man. I love Chad and Jeremy. Did you ever hear that version of Dirty Old Town? No. Listen to that. And that album that that's on is so incredible. Understated beyond belief. Just amazing. Um, so that's a that's a special place in my heart, too. But I am also into um, I'm into every kind of music and especially like the most most of my stuff that I like you can dance to. It's really rock and roll. It's really R&B. It's really uh, just amazing stuff, you know, and I yeah, I never get tired of that. Um, so I don't even know what the question was, but yeah, all that stuff. But it's inspiring in that it's it's not like, OK, so you can be inspired by things. So you can say, yeah, I'll never be that good. Boy, I can never sing like that. If I was like that, then there would be no X. Because I couldn't sing. I never sang a note in my life. The thing is that I had to develop my own style. I had to work really hard and I had to perfect it. And I had to I had to keep working and expanding what I can do to the best of my ability. I will never be, um, you know, Donna Summer. I will just never be Donna Summer. I will never be Debbie Harry. But I will always be Xene. And I think the best Xene is better than the worst version of somebody else, right? Like I, I could almost sing like like um I could almost sing like Donna Summer, but I'll just be a terrible Donna Summer. Um, yeah. So yeah. What try not I? to get just you know, for artists, like try not to compare yourself negatively to people and get down on yourself is my advice. Cause I've done that. And what's the point of that, you know? I guess that's true in life as well. If you look at other people and live your life by comparison, it's only going to lead to misery, isn't it? And disappointment in yourself, which is the wrong way to look at it. Whatever you do. Oh, yeah. Well, again, it's all you have control over what you do and what you think. And that's it. What a magical time musically to live through as well. Like to be like a young child and a, a teenager as you're going through like the 50s and the 60s and that wonderful age, you know, as you say, of American and English music and that relationship between the two back and forth and then you get to the birth of this kind of whole diy punk thing that you guys were at the forefront of in america and what an exciting time to be young uh, and to be on the oh, you have no idea i don't just the radio in the car okay so we're living in the middle of nowhere a town of a thousand people we're driving in this used car my dad and my mom in the front me in the back and the doors like my fire comes on i'm 12 no i love the doors and I love that. I love that song because it was on FM radio. I had a transistor radio with FM on it. But I also grew up listening to Ray Charles and the Supremes and Johnny Cash back to back on the AM radio in the car radio. We didn't have any records. We didn't have any books in my house. We had a, a, we had a stereo, a hi-fi. And we had a Ray Charles record. We had a Dinah Washington record. And those are the only two records I remember we owned, right? So, and they probably came with the, with the stereo. Um, and so my mom loved Ray Charles. So, so we're listening to the the doors light my fire and my mom turns up the car radio, which is AM radio because she knows I like that song. So I'm sitting there in the back and it goes into the long version. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was like one of my first very beginning mind, all mind altering opening psychedelic experiences, hearing that long version of the doors record, just sitting like really by myself in this car going down this like road. And if you would have told me that eight years later. Which isn't well, a long time, right? Years, Let, let's be realistic. Eight years is so such this a is, short. Yeah. So I'm 12. 
And, and 10 years later, I'm going to meet Ray Manzarek and he's going to produce the X record. Do you think that 12 year old girl in Illinois sitting in the backseat in a poor little family going down a nowhere road to nowhere would know in, in, in 10 years or roughly that I was suddenly going to be me now? That is a miracle of, you know, because here's the thing. Kids now, they expect that. They think they're going to be rich and famous. They think they're going to be on TikTok. They think they're going to be discovered. They think they're going to meet Taylor Swift. They think they're going to be a big athlete and get a $150 million a year contract. They think all these things because they can see it. It's possible. But back then in those days in 1968 or whatever that was, or 67 or 66, I don't even know what year it was. Um, no one had those expectations. You're going to grow up. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to be a nun. You're going to be a teacher. You're going to be a nurse. You're going to live in this town for the rest of your life. You know, that was that was the reality. And there is nothing wrong with that, by the way. It just wasn't for me. Um, Were you always a dreamer then, Xane? No, so I had no idea any of that was going to happen. I thought fully I was going to be a nurse or a nun or something like that. But then, you know, you, you hit that puberty time. And um, speaking of which, like, if someone told me, you know what, you could be a baseball player if you want, because we didn't have sports where I lived because it was too small enough, of course, for women in the 60s, there were, you know, so, or girls, I wanted to be a baseball player so bad. I wanted to be the first major league woman baseball player, and I really believed I could do it. I had no one to play with, and I just kept throwing the ball against the garage and catching it and pretending I was, I was a, a shortstop my whole childhood. And if someone said, guess what, we have an operation and some drugs you can take, be a boy would have been on my knees begging for it for about a year and a half. And then I would have said, I want to be a boy. I want to be a girl. So you got to be careful with that stuff because I know from my experience, man, I wanted to be a boy so bad. I'd have done anything to be a boy, but then the next just, year, I wanted just to be so a girl. you could play baseball though. Yeah. I wanted to be a boy. So my dad would love me. Cause I thought if I was a boy, he would love me. And I wanted to be a baseball player more than anything. And I thought that would be like the best life ever. And then a year later, I wanted to marry a baseball player. And it's just the weirdest thing with kids, you know. Um, but, yeah, the music thing really, I mean, my mind was just constantly expanding. Like, again, like when I was 12 to like 15, I went through a whole different series of who I was and who I wanted to be. And I started going to thrift stores and I started writing. And then my, my parents had moved to, us to Florida. And then I was in a town full of thrift stores and ancient, beautiful things. And I just was like in love with all this other stuff. So, yeah, you know, life, again, it just here today, you know, you're shipwrecked on an island all of a sudden and, and you have to figure out how to survive or, you know, you meet this person. It just, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's all like one big expanding experience. And um, as long as you're in acceptance, which is a very hard lesson to learn, great things will happen. Thinking about America and cars and radios and rock and roll and all of that stuff i just can't help but think of of that uh very early george lucas film american graffiti and um there's the radio host in that who was obviously a real radio host um who was massive in america never really kind of made it over here i think it was just so off the radar but someone i've become fascinated in through my interest in radio and rock and roll and, and american culture in that time period but wolfman jack that guy who was broadcasting like down at was it out of Mexico? He was broadcasting and it's so sort I think of like, it's, yeah, at first, yeah. And, and it then was like he was B movie influenced and sci fi influenced and rock and roll influenced and so yeah. out there, so creative and exciting. He's like been a very um, strong 
influential figure of, of kind of inspiration and a hero to me really as a broadcaster. Yeah, me too, wow. for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, the other thing that we had, because you don't, you still have a few people like that. Some of those people are still alive and they're on serious radio. But um, the other thing besides so amazing was he was bringing in that whole East LA Mexican American uh, immigrant uh, dedication thing where they like, who would you like to send the song out to? And they go like, this is to Snoopy. And it was like, you know, it's a gang girl and you know that it's a gang guy. And it was just, we just so delicious. We used to, I used to take, when I first moved to California, um, because we didn't have that in the Midwest. We had different people. But when I moved to California, he was on the radio here on um, KRLA. And I was living upstairs from Beyond Baroque, the poetry place where I met John. But I had not I had just met John. And I worked down there in the library, small press library. And I didn't have anything in my apartment except what it came with, which I think was a table and chairs and a bed. Or I had someone gave me a bed. And so I would sneak down there and I would get the little radio, the little clock radio that had AM and FM. And I would tune it to AM and I would write and I would drink cheap wine. And I would listen to um, Wolfman Jack and I would write the early X songs and then I would bring it down in the morning and they didn't care if I borrowed it, but I thought I was sneaking. I felt so guilty just sneaking and borrowing the radio. That was all I had to listen to. And I would listen to Wolfman Jack and his dedications. And the other thing that we had as broadcasting that was so amazing is we had great sports announcers. We had the best sports announcers. They're all gone now. And it's just like kind of just guys in suits announcing now. But we had a Vince Scully for the Dodgers and Harry Carey for the Cubs. And there was a guy in San Diego's name I can't remember. And they were legendary because they were so brilliant. And the way they described the game, you could listen to it on the radio. And you could see you could see that line drive. And you could see that home run. And you could see this guy walking up to the plate. And, and um, that is a really important thing is to infuse just the words you're saying between the action between the records, between the action, so that somebody hears that record like they've never heard it before. You can tell a little story. You can let let's, let someone talk their dedication so that this song now, again, make a sense of art. I love this song because Snoopy loves this song. And I love this song because Wolfman Jack let Snoopy dedicate this song to her man. And what is her man like? I, bet he, I wonder if he's, a, if he's got an old Chevy. I wonder what kind of car he drives. I wonder how old they are. I wonder if they have kids. I wonder if they'll get back together because he let them dedicate this song. And maybe I'll meet someone and maybe you'll meet someone because of Snoopy and Wolfman Jack. <laughs> it captures your imagination, doesn't it? And make you think about all the possibilities of life. It does. And just that one minute of borrowing that radio, you can go through all that. But you know what? I have to pick up a friend at the airport. Oh, right now. I have about five minutes and then I got to get in my car and I got to drive to Long Beach because I'm picking up my really best friend at the airport. And I'm so excited to be seeing her because she's been gone for 10 days. Oh, well, you're a wonderful friend. Hey, listen, before you go, let me ask you very quickly about Garbage, working with, with Shirley and, and Butch. Oh, yeah. Because I love that band, love especially Shirley. I just adore her. I think she's just a wonderful voice in, in the kind of alternative scene. She's so funny and smart and fierce. And So what was it like, you and John, Shirley and Butch, that collaboration? Tell me a little bit Well, about what that. happened was um, John and I got the wonderful chance to open for Garbage and Blondie on tour, doing our duo What thing. a bill. Oh my God, what a bill. And I just immediately, of course, always loved her. And and the band, you know what the great thing about Shirley too is besides just who she is, because she's a really kind, wonderful, generous human being and very supportive. Every night she wore a different outfit that someone like that was a student fashion designer had designed just for her to wear. She did that for those people that they could, she could walk on the stage and somebody would go, I made that dress and Shirley is wearing it. That's generosity and love and um, and imagination. Um, I I 
got to know we got to know the band and she's like this gateway to those other people because they're very studio musician genius kind of guys but so you don't think of them with their personality once you get to know those other guys they're so amazing also right that was a real honor to do that and then we decided to do a song together so she and i wrote the words and um and everybody sang and played on it and it was just fun i mean that song is great in my opinion uh i love that so it's one of my favorite things i've ever gotten to do and i think it's really beautiful and haunting and um you know we did it for record store day which is another generous move on their part i mean i guess on all of our parts it's like hey record stores guess what here's something you know yeah i i don't i have seen her um since then and i but i haven't seen her because you know covid ruined everything but uh I, I, yes, you know what? She's she's amazing. That band is amazing, and um, yeah, it was great. Thank you so much for a, a lovely, lovely hour, Exine. And uh, I hope you're very we can, welcome. We can pick this up again and maybe do a part two at some point. And I will give your regards to the Flogging Molly guys in a couple of weeks, and I'll raise a glass of soda water to you on the boat and cheers you from the Caribbean Sea. Oh man, yeah, I wish I could go on that. And yeah, do tell people hello and um let's do this again after the X record comes out and we can and you can uh talk about that because you know you'll you'll hear it and and um and I'll give your information to our press lady too, who's fabulous, Melissa. Please. So that you can uh, stay in touch via her and she can send you the recording and all that and set some help you set something up if you want. And yeah, no, we'd love to. It's nice to see you again. It's lovely to see you and and thank you for all the wonderful music that you've shared with the world over the years. As I said, I've heard at this stage almost all of it, everything I could get my hands on and just so much beautiful, fun, inspiring stuff. Uh, and as, as a Brit, I'm very fascinated with Americana, rootsy kind of American rock and roll. And that's very much the pool in which you exist as a songwriter. And I love it. Um, so thank you for the music and the conversation and the time and the friendship. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And I'll, I'll talk to you again. Hopefully see you again. Yeah, definitely. And if I'm ever your side of the pond, I will come and, uh, you know, look you up and say hello. You may. And maybe the universe will send you over. I think it will. We'll I see. I think so. And best to you and, 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 and everything you do. And I will talk to you again. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.